The earliest maps of North America were very distorted. European colonists began to share information as they gathered it, but their surveying bore little accuracy. If you've ever looked at a 17th century map, it's almost comical. There was so much that they did not know geographically about this land upon which we live. Look at a topographical map today, however, and you will find that enhanced by satellite imaging, you get a much more accurate picture of what it is we mean when we say from sea to shining sea. This is a glorious place to live. And I am talking about the Smokies and the Mississippi Delta, whatever goes on there, and the Midwestern Plains and the Rockies, but even more specifically, even if you haven't traced your way far beyond the bounds of this very state, aren't you happy to live in this area of the country where you have mountains and coastline? And if you go down to Waycross, you even got the swamp down there. This is a beautiful place to be. There is still so much that, however, we do not know about these United States. And cartographers are seeking to map this land ethnically and economically and particularly politically during this season of national election. And in this season... Uh, Perhaps you have become more sensitive to the fact, more aware that we are a very diverse people. In fact, you don't have to go very far to experience that. Just walk down the street this afternoon and see if you don't meet somebody that thinks in very different ways than the ways that you think. This nation is truly a melting pot of many cultures and many opinions. And because of this, there are tensions. There are tensions. I am not planning to reveal who I'm voting for this morning. Because I know I would get myself in trouble with a good many folk who already have me aligned with whomever candidate they have chosen for me to support. (laughs) But I do want to say that you and I must help our nation to maneuver these waters of tension in such a way as we can allow even for God to heal the heart of who we are. Over the next four weeks, Stephanie and I will be taking a brief look at four principles that could help with this healing process. 
The passage of scripture today that has been read is one in which the Apostle Paul is writing to his young cohort in ministry, Timothy. And as he shares, he talks with Timothy about who he is. Now, he doesn't have to retell his story to Timothy because Timothy already knew the story. But do you remember Paul's story? It's incredible. In fact, let me share this in Paul's words as Luke shares this in the telling of of the story of the early church in Acts chapter 22. Here he has Paul speaking to the tribunal in Jerusalem. And these are Paul's words. He said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. From them I also received letters to the brothers in Damascus. And I went there in order to bind those who were there and to bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. Now stay with this because this is where it gets interesting. While I was on my way and approaching Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? Then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I asked, what am I to do, Lord? The Lord said to me, get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told everything that has been assigned for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, those who were with me took my hand and led me to Damascus. A certain Ananias, who was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by all the Jews living there, came to me and standing beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I regained my sight and saw him. Then he said, the Lord God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear his own voice. For you will be his witness to all the world of what you have seen and heard. It is an incredible conversion that Saul experiences and it explains so much of what he was trying to communicate to Timothy. In these words, Paul is still overwhelmed with what has happened in his life. I'm grateful to Christ Jesus, he says, our Lord who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. It goes on here to say 
The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. There is this deep sense of humility that undergirds the writing of the Apostle Paul. And it is not only important for us to hear this, to overhear it. It wasn't just important for Timothy to hear it. And it wasn't important just for the early church to hear it, but it is important for we who are gathered here in this place to hear it as well. He was authoritative in his mission. Paul was. And his humility yet undergirded his character. There were things that he spoke forthrightly, even to the point where I cringe when I hear some of the things that he said, but I still process this because he was filled with this deep sense of his own saving by Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20, do you remember that he was repeating what was current with him? Not just what was at the beginning of his following Christ, but it was current with him when he said, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Still, he was seeing himself as the chief most of sinners. This is not something that places Paul lower on the pedestal for me. It places him higher. In 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter It's interesting to see how he reflected on his life. For he said there, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And down further in the 12th chapter, he says, therefore to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Think on this. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities for the sake of Christ, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Living humbly has an incredible power to heal the candidates, as candidates always do, are seeking to show themselves in the very best light. In fact, they are coached to show and to speak with signs of strength. Why? Because this is what we want to see and hear. We expect authority to be filled with sureness. It is probably too much to expect that a candidate, even my own candidate, would be vulnerable 
not to even speak of confessional. But let me tell you, I have an expectation that our candidates will be humble. Will be humble. Because in that humility, there is this sense of healing for all of us simply in the fact that it is a story that is greater than any individual by themselves can affect. Are we willing to live in this way for the healing of our nation. I'm not sure about the candidates, but I can tell you that this isn't really about the candidates. It's about us. It's about we who are gathered here in this place. We who lose our focus in the midst of life and think with such surety that everything is black and white. I want to suggest to you, even some of my closest friends who speak with such an edge to their voice that they know what all of the right answers are. To be more humble in your approach. And I wish for this even in our candidates. But you can affect this. You and I can affect this. If we live into it here in this place. It is our place not to have all of the answers, but to live in such a way that we share our hopes and dreams with each other rather than our attitudes. It is out of those hopes and dreams that God will continue to make a great nation out of our homeland. I know that Jesus had expectations about this. You remember the story of how he knelt before his disciples and there their dirty feet. He took them in his hands and bathed them, taking time humbly before them, even when they wanted to refuse. He said to them, this is not just about me. I'm calling you to do the same for others. It's that kind of attitude that helps make us all better. And lest you think that this is confined to just a few places in the scripture, look it through. 
you will find it a theme from beginning to end. In the very center of the Bible, look at Psalm 18, verse 27, where it says, For you deliver a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. And in Psalm 149, verse 4, where it says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with victory. And in Proverbs 11, 2, where it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but wisdom is with the humble. And in Isaiah 66, verse 2, All these things my hand has made, and so all these things are mine, says the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, to the humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. I believe that you and I, by the way in which we communicate with each other, can set the precedent for how the world will communicate as well. I encourage you to take on the mantle of humility, especially during this time of elections, but throughout your life, be known as a humble servant of God and allow room for God to do his work.